Hello, and welcome to Launch Legends, the only podcast focused exclusively on the stories behind internet marketing's biggest and best launches. Each week, we sit down with an online marketing expert to tell the story of one of their launches, what went well, what didn't, and how much cash they made. And now, your host, Hamad Akbar. Hello and welcome to another episode of Launch Legends. Today we're joined by writers of Omnisend. Omnisend only started in 2014 in a very competitive market. However, this year they're projected to do $13 million in annual recurring revenue. They've got 60,000 plus customers and they're getting about 7,000 signups every single month. So how did they do that? Writers talks about how in the first 24 months, they did not really care about revenue. They only focused on working very closely with the customers to build the right product. So much so that even if they got one bad review from a customer, they would spend days working with them to ensure the problem is resolved. Writers also talks about how integrating with complementary marketplaces and products helped them generate traction in the beginning. Before we continue, if you are listening to this on a podcast, please rate and leave a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button, rate, and leave a review. Hey, writers, thank you very much for being on the show. So um, I know you guys are doing 13.5, well, you projected to do $13.5 million um, in annual recurring revenue. You've got over 60,000 customers. More importantly, you guys are, you guys are bootstrapped, and uh, you only started in 2014. So first of all, I'd like to know who you are and uh, why you started Omnisend. So let's talk about that. Hey, hey, Ahmad. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for inviting me uh, into your show. Great pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, you know, uh, for, for the listeners, we really had a very nice sliding conversation before before we officially started the podcast. So I really enjoy the mood already. So thanks for inviting. And, um, yeah, getting to, to the question is... Uh, we have started, yes, yeah, as, as you said correctly, but Dominicent is now, we started the product uh, in like six years ago in 2014. And uh, the reason was, uh, it was a spin-off from digital marketing agents. Probably that's, that's an important thing. It's, mm-hmm. I, I would say, three important things here. One was we were serving uh, customers that basically, basically developing websites, developing Facebook applications. Those were super popular, doing digital marketing for, for our customers, etc., selling human hours. So, and the, that was that was the beginning. What was I would say very important for uh, for the success of Omnisend, as we had the core of the team, and still we have some people in the team currently, which were already together with myself for 10, 8, 7 years working together. So we knew uh, each other before that, which is very, very, very important at the very beginning, that the team is not being built from scratch. There is trust, there is understanding, there is, uh, we have already been bonded, some of us, but the, the, the core of the team, which is, which is absolutely important. So, it's it's the first thing. Second second thing is uh, like the reason why did we started this uh, was that you know selling human hours and selling services is great, but that's pretty local and pretty like unpredictable. Each each time you have to fight for 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 a new project, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Tenders and you're not that sure of uh, how well will you be doing in six months and twelve months if if you don't have enough of long long term contracts. And kind of SaaS software as a service business was was something which I really 
uh, found very interesting as a business model. Then you have recurring revenue, the customers are paying you. And if you provide good quality service, if your customers are happy, they stay for really long. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what apparently happened that what we see um, from our customer base is that if customers stay long with us, they have a tendency to grow, which is absolutely like fascinating that those those customers who have joined and like uh, joined us like 24 months ago, now they are twice, three times bigger than they were at the very beginning. So that's, uh, that's very, very fascinating because uh, our growth of our customers means growth of ours, which is great. Mm-hmm. And the second thing, which is even more important, that that shows that we help to create the value for mm-hmm. for for them, for their businesses, and they grow. Just and we are one of the reasons why they grow. That's that's really great, great feeling. Yeah, and I would say third, um, third important probably thing about about the start. So uh, my co-founders were two two main co-founders. So on this end, he actually used to be my customer once I was running an agency. So that was again very very good. Uh, I would say thing and decision we both made and we because we started not as if like beer buddies uh, or like personal relationship but we kind of tested how do we manage to work together in like you know business provider and, and customer um, mm-hmm. uh, way so that that I, I believe which kind of brought a lot of professionalism into into our relationship which uh, which is mm-hmm. a great thing up up until today. Right, so let's talk about Omnisend. Uh, why did you even start the product? Um, uh, let's talk about what Omnisend is. And uh, yeah. I know it's a very, very um, competitive market. Why did you decide to get into it? Oh, yeah. Uh, what- the market is like so, super competitive. Yeah. Yeah. So Omnisend, Omnisend is an omnichannel marketing automation uh, solution for those who sell online. So for those who run online stores, uh, have online businesses, really help to retain customers, to co- communicate with existing customer base. Uh, how do we do? So a few co- most important things. First thing, we analyze a lot of data. We synchronize with your online store, we analyze your customer's behavior, and based on that, you can automate your marketing campaigns. Mm-hmm. You can com- automate communication with your customers in uh, different channels. So we have uh, email, we have mm-hmm. text messages, SMS, we have Facebook Messenger, and we have ability to synchronize with your uh, Google and Facebook ads to mm-hmm. in order to run uh, either retargeting campaigns or lookalike campaigns to acquire new customers. Yeah, so basically that's 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 the product. Uh, replacements for MailChimps of the world, generic email service providers. If you if you are selling online and you really want to better retain your customers, increase lifetime value of your customers. And yes, you are right. That was already very competitive uh, market uh, once we have started Omnisend. And why did we do that? Uh, back in the day, six years ago, the situation was that uh, there were generic email service providers, uh, mm-hmm. like you know, just sending bulk email campaigns, email blasts, how they call it, and no, no segmentation, no data-driven um, communication with your customers. Uh, on the other hand, there were kind of Amazons of the world, uh, like really, really huge giant corporations, modern corporations, which were utilizing a lot of data at the same time. And everybody was seeing, oh, come on, I receive an email from Amazon and it's with a product which I have been browsing like one week ago. And that's so amazing, you know. And there were no solution to really bring those Amazon level 
uh, sophisticated communication tools to small and medium markets. So that was our main vision and main goal that you could, we have to bring what is uh, like capabilities of large companies, simplify it and bring it to small and medium sized businesses. Uh, and that's how how we kind of okay we saw that's the potential of a niche. Although you are in technically in the same email marketing space, but you have a really unique proposition for very unique uh, group of customers, those who are selling online. Yeah, so that's kind of you know where where we saw that that value potentially could be. So I would imagine that product must have uh, evolved over time. Let's talk okay. about when you first started developing the product until your first launch, first MVP launch. How long did, how long did that take? And how, how big was the team on that? Uh, we were eight at that time. So yeah, as, as an agency, we're bigger. But then so once we kind of focused on this, we're still in like for initial two years, we were still running agency business a little bit uh, to fund fund investments into into uh, product in terms and uh, and uh, yeah and we were developing so I would say it would took us around like six months before the first MVP launch that was really really MVP level solution <laughs> and I remember myself like looking up we have redesigned and like rebuild the structure and everything like I don't know two two years or like two and a half years after the launch and then I was looking retrospectively to our first version I didn't know why anyone used and why some of them paid for that <laughs> so uh, <laughs> but you know that's the whole point of an MVP right where it's, uh, yeah. it's if your customers hate it that's fine because mm-hmm. you have to just put yeah. it there to your customers uh, but if what? yeah, but that's that's probably one of the kind of uh, great lessons I have learned or we as a company have learned so yeah really and we continue like doing the same up until today. So if we're introducing a new feature, we usually launch the MVP of it. If we see that there is an adoption and more more requests and technically more hate you, you get from your customers about that specific feature or capability shows that there is a need of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there is no feedback, so check the stats, usually no one is using it. And that means that you just you made a wrong Yes, and nobody actually needs this. Got it. So, whilst you were developing the MVP, were you guys showing working with any customers at all at that point, or you were just focused on? Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. So, but in, again, in our case, we had uh, we as an agency were serving some e-commerce stores as well. So those are where our first customers with whom we tested the product, and then that's that's uh, you know how do you say. And I, I would advise for everyone who is building MVP, uh, so find one or two, if it's B2B solution, if it's B2C, so maybe 100, I don't know how many customers do you need to really test it. But really, it's, it's very good to have, let's call it launch partners, someone who would really give you a feedback on the spot, whose who's real problem you will be solving before you launch even an MVP. Not a theoretical one, but okay, I have a theory, I find a first partner, and I start implementing there and checking the use cases. Do I really cover the, the needs of, of uh, in our case, e-commerce stores? Uh, yeah, so we had a couple of those stores, and your definition, yeah, your definition of uh, launch partners is someone who's your ideal customer is going to work with you to really refine the requirements and the product, and who's, who's actually going to use it. 
Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Uh, again, the definition of what is of ideal customer is really changing. Uh, mm-hmm. At least, like from from our experience, it's kind of constantly changing. As in our case, we have started working with really like micro to small businesses, and uh, now our ideal customer profile is like larger, mid-sized customer, which already is migrating from generic email service uh, providers. And uh, instead of just launching a business, we still keep serving those who are just launching online mm-hmm. businesses and uh, we keep product like layers. And the first layer, it has to be really uh, like the interface is very like easy to use and easy to understand. The second layer is like the settings, which has to be powerful, but they are a bit a bit hidden for for power users, but you don't just you know learning curve has to be as flat as you could have it. So that's at least our point of view is towards a product building. And there is a third layer, is like API level, which which is like provides a lot of flexibility for anyone to build and customize if they're willing to. Yeah. So um, so again, so in our case. Like what is ideal customer understanding has changed in the past six years, but yeah, for sure, that's that's the best if you could find what you define as your ideal customer for the the launch time, for the very beginning. So pick one or two and just you know work with them. Great. So when you launched the MVP, first of all, how did you launch? Did you have a massive event or something, or you just gave it to a bunch of uh, few customers or something? Yep. So that was the second. Yeah. Yeah. And no massive event. And, you know, the market, our market is global. We have at least, we have at least one paying customer coming from 130 uh, countries worldwide. So, you know, it's uh, when you're a startup, you have no capacity to, to do a big launch. It's one thing. And what really kind of worked for us from the very beginning, and, uh, and, and we, we kind of just, made a, a mathematical exercise and analyzed what are e-commerce platforms because we understood, okay, we will be serving e-commerce customers. Mm-hmm. How does this market operate? So initially to have an online store, you're going to choose your e-commerce platform. It's going to be like Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, WooCommerce, PrestaShop, mm-hmm. you name it. Like Again, mm-hmm. quite, quite huge competition then, huge variety of uh, e-commerce platforms. So we have analyzed the data of uh, of those and popularity and growth trends of those platforms. It was the first exercise, and the second exercise we did was kind of uh, openness of their ecosystem. Who does have an API? How easy is it to integrate? How easy is it to support, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And uh, we launched. We basically made integrations with uh, key players in the market. So at that time, there was Ticktail. I'm not sure if you have heard about that. Yes, like, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah that was heat maps, heat maps, and are we talking? No, about no, that was no, no. Ticktail that was um, an e-commerce platform with oh, yeah. uh, like super, super easy to use. Unfortunately, they failed and finally has been acquired by Shopify. But right. at that time, they were really kind of hot. Everybody will. Oh, sorry. Uh, am I back? Yeah, you're back. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just a second. Uh, yep, it's the beauty uh, of Bluetooth of us two devices are being connected to the same. Wow. <laughs> yeah, sorry, have disconnected it. So, um, 
Yeah, so like basically, so Ticktail was the first integration, Shopify was the second, then BigCommerce, Magento, WooCommerce, etc., etc. So we made integrations with those e-commerce platforms, and and that's how we start acquiring uh, our first customers through our uh, app stores. Great. Okay. So let's talk about that. That's a great strategy mm-hmm. where you actually integrated with the ecosystems, you know, with yeah. the different marketplaces, rather than going through your typical uh, pay channels or your mm-hmm. typical content marketing channel. That's a great strategy, and that's, that's obviously worked for you. When you started integrating, what was the deal? Did you did you reach out to the partner and say, "Look, hey, we, we're going to do this integration." In return, can you please promote us so we can get some users? Mm-hmm. Or they just started coming organically. So it was it was kind of um, at, 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 like at the that stage, Shopify was just a rather small company compared to what they are now, and like the commerce was the same, and Magento was big as well. WooCommerce was still independent, not owned by uh, by by our automatic and WordPress, and yeah. yeah so normally it was a bit different, but. They had their open ecosystems, and you can you can just read a documentation and then the, build this integration. So there was no need to reach out to them. But of course, once the technical integration was live, we reached out to them and asked, "So, what are the uh, opportunities here in this ecosystem? Can can you promote us? Is it pay 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 to play game, or is it just you know you have to prove something?" And uh, the rules were different in different ecosystems. So someone. Requested you to to to, to pay and buy the license. Someone just said, "Okay, if you can get let's say ten customers, we're going to evaluate you five stars. We're going to promote you somewhere." Okay, mm-hmm. so prove that you are quality solution, good quality solution, and there is a need of solutions yours in the market, and we're going to help you to grow because if you grow, it means our customers get more value, and we are happy about that as well. Yeah, so that was back in the days. Today. Uh, today, those ecosystems uh, are much more mature, especially I think e-commerce space. But I believe, I mean, you can have very, like a lot of different ideas and maybe ecosystems which you can integrate are uh, not that mature yet. So maybe it's easier to, to, to communicate. So now it's more kind of clear rules and usually it's pay-to-play game, <laughs> more pay-to-play than just in organic nowadays. Uh, so it can be certified, you can, you can, receive some badges and can be included in some collections or even paid ads, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so we work, yeah, and usually, so yeah, so now we pay. At that time, we just asked uh, to be promoted, to be to be somewhere represented, et cetera. Right, let's go back. So let's talk about some numbers. So <laughs> the, first, yeah, the first 12 months of uh, Omnisense um, existence, how many, how many integrations did you do? Uh, I believe we did like initially eight integrations, uh, but after 12 or like 16, 18, 18 months, we have discontinued some of them because it was just too much hassle to support so many integrations. So what we did, we did eight integrations, uh, get rid of five, narrow down to three. And then after some time, now we have much more integrations as well. So- but the... Uh, uh, so first twelve months. How many how many signups did that, those integrations bring? I know it's a very hard question. Yeah, I don't know, but vaguely uh, percentage wise, how many signups did that bring out of all? Uh, from all the signups, I would say that was more or less close to one hundred percent. 
Ooh. Yeah, so initially that was really a kickstart. Like the integrations was initially sole uh, acquisition channel for us. I mean, now it's different. It's much more diverse. But from the beginning, that was with initial acquisition was just basically driven by those integrations and those app stores. That's very interesting, actually, because that's not a strategy that's been touted very much, where integrate mm-hmm. with other in a, you know, partners in, in the complementary space. Um, yeah. Right, and, okay. You know, and, you know, what, what is, of course, what is very important, I mean, those integrations, it's, uh, one thing is the kind of technical, second, you, where you can, you can, like, have a relationship with a platform and with a company and ask to be promoted, etc. And usually if there is an open app store, there is there is a social aspect as well. And mm-hmm. uh, e, like evaluation, your customers which try out your product, etc. We leave reviews to you, etc. So what we really were working hard and up until today, we were working hard to really get good reviews. So have a good product, provide a world-class service, and even if something is not going well with your product, so, you know, just invest human hours to convert this unhappy customer into happy customer. So if we just got one star, we'd spend hours and hours to please this customer and to really to to solve his or her problems and Mm -hmm. then ask, could you please, you know, remove this one star? and maybe replace a five star or oh, that's okay or oh, that just remove all oh, three stars four stars but you know mm-hmm. so uh we kind of were over investing into into i would say customer support because the product mvp is never is never ideal but yeah. what you can do you can do what's what not scales and you can just spend more hours uh, human hours to really provide a world-class support and convert even unhappy customers into happy customers just because of a personal relationship. Great. So how much revenue were you guys doing in the first 12 months? Uh, So uh, I don't remember exactly in in initial 12 months, but after 24 months, our revenue was uh, monthly around around $30,000. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it took us... Yeah. So basically... It took us like uh, 24 months to understand our business model. So although we kind of caught quite decent traction, uh, but since the launch, we had premium model. And we have premium model now. So we have free version, which is pretty generous for everyone who just started his business. Uh, so it's more than enough of, mm-hmm. of, of what we provide in the free plan. Uh, but at that time, we, uh, we kind of, that took us, quite a few months to really calibrate uh, what to provide for free and for, for for what to ask to pay. And yeah, so we had a good traction, we had quite good usage, but very few paying customers for 24 months. And it took us really uh, some time to, to understand how and to what to, to build your customers. So in terms of growth, in the second year, um, you know, from month 13 to month 24, um, Leads were coming through the integration partners. What else yeah. did you try, which was uh, a groundbreaking thing for you? Mm. Yeah, so I would say since we really understood what is the business model and how, how to start earning money, we were really relying on integrations only and communities. And uh, and after that, after that, after so 13 to 24, nothing, nothing new in go to market. Just basically all the focus in understanding 
how to create value for our customers, how to create actually monetizable customer value. Uh, value big enough for your customers to pay to you. So that was kind of complete uh, focus on product and on price. That's yeah, great. All, uh, yeah, and only after month 24, I would say, then we have finally understood, okay, we have a product market fit, now we have a business model, we see that it starts working, and we really start earning some money, and it's growing month over month. So only then we start investing more into go-to-market and thinking about go-to-market and open new new channels. So back to month 13, you said uh, you focused on the product heavily. That's probably the best yeah. thing to do. Uh, until month 24 and afterwards. And he said you were really focused on providing value to the customer and really reaching that product market fit. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? What did that look like for you? Uh, it was uh, talking to your customers, uh, recording your customers' behavior. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, there are tools which you know you can, you can record how do we browse? Uh, what do we click? Uh, what do we do? Analyze data, analyze data. What do we send? Emails, how many emails? Uh, why do we start the campaign? Uh, like composing the campaign, but not sending a campaign. What happens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of analysis, yeah. And, and both like quantitative and qualitative, uh, talking to your customers. So why do you think so? How do you do? Because that's a paradox. Sometimes, you know, you, you have to combine those two things uh, because like quantitative shows you something and qualitative people are just too, maybe, I don't know, too good to you, don't want to insult you or something and they lie a bit to you, like sweet lies, talking sweet lies, no, I like everything, everything is fine, etc., etc. Or vice versa, someone has can, can be rude and say, oh, you are too expensive. Uh, but come on, you paid us like, 10 bucks, is it really too much or something? So what is the real reason of us being too expensive? And the real reason is that we didn't drive you any sale. You know, you earned zero bucks while paying 10 bucks. Of course, it's too expensive for that uh, return on investment, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's not about like the price, it's all about the value we're providing. But uh, I mean, if we have uh, told you like, 3,000 of revenue, would we be too expensive paying 300 of bucks? Of course, no. So, you know, some, sometimes, uh, so you have to combine those, those, those two things like data analysis and, 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 uh, and really interviews and then conversation with your customers. Did you have uh, a certain set of interviews you were doing every week or they were just quite random? Uh, it was like trying as, as much as, as, as we can. And like, yeah, at that time I was, I was living in London. So really trying to, to meet in person as well, which is, which is very valuable. Just again, once you work, at least from my experience, once you work to like micro and small business, people not, uh, not willing to meet you that much. <clears throat> and it's, it's different once you work with a larger companies because they have proper offices, they have meeting rooms, they have people, they have more time. Or like they have dedicated, in our case, marketing managers, so they can dedicate more time to talk to you because they just have more time. And if they, you are a small business owner, so usually you are working, uh, your warehouse is one like a meter away from your bed. <laughs> <laughs> you work from home. Uh, you work somewhere, maybe in suburban areas. Uh, you have so many, so many like spinning plates at the same time. You just don't want to like waste any minutes to provide even the feedback, even to a product which you in general like. 
so that's that's a bit different. So again, so um, uh, one of the tips I know it's it cost, but uh, but what we found out so basically bribing your customers uh, for the feedback time is what works. I mean, right. look, just you know, fifty fifty bucks uh, or fifty pounds, etc. Euros, uh, Amazon coupon. If you spend thirty minutes and answering questions about the product. Uh, I would imagine that would probably give you bad customers, people who are just there to. No, 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 but you know, no, no, but but it's just you know the the dynamics is not that you are looking uh, that you are paying in advance. You already have a customer. It's 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 how to how to how to encourage your existing customers to talk to you because if you use your self service. Uh, tool. They just register online. They create an account. They start using, and they just don't want to talk to you. I mean, they're comfortable in using uh, in a self-service mode. Uh, they don't want to have a human touch. And uh, yeah, so that's that's a way how you can uh, invite them to a call. So they already your existing customers. You find that okay, maybe their use case is interesting. Maybe uh, you have your own reasons why you want to talk to that particular uh, customer because. They are somehow in the group to which you're willing to talk, and then and then you just really reach out and say, okay, let's exchange fifty bucks or one hundred bucks in a, in exchange of uh, thirty minutes of your time. Great. Yeah. And so, um, it's, no, 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 it's not related to their usage. I mean, they they already are using you. Great. So, so right, it's uh, month twenty four. You were doing thirty thousand dollars per month in revenue. Yeah. And you are projected to do thirteen point five million dollars now. What happened, man? What worked? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would say like, uh, like constantly listening to your customers and like really building what, what they want. It's, uh, it's a first thing. Second thing, of course, uh, is luck as well. So I'm a strong believer that, you know, you have initially have to work smart and hard and then you need luck on top. So e-commerce just, we just picked the right, uh, the right market to be, the right market to serve, and uh, and uh, you know, e-commerce is booming globally. It's it's growing. Platforms like Shopify, e-commerce, Shopify skyrocketed. E-commerce just IPO'd yesterday. We are recording. Uh, yeah, so one day before the recording, we have IPO'd. So public company. Etc. Mm-hmm. WooCommerce was acquired by uh, by Automatic and WordPress has been mm-hmm. like promoted a lot, etc. So the segment market segment itself like really exploded, and even in the COVID situation, we were super lucky. One of those which were not impacted, or maybe impacted in a positive way, mm-hmm. because a lot of our customers grew. A lot of mm-hmm. new stores has been launched in the in the in the, in the in this lockdown situation, just because the physical stores were closed and people were looking for ways to still continue their business, and they went online. Um, yeah, so not sure if it's if it's luck, if it's wisdom. Not sure. I would say it's probably luck. I mean, we could equally choose another another direction. Um, yeah, so that's that's a combination of luck, working hard and smart, and, and being lucky a bit. So. Let me ask you this: What percentage of uh, signups come through those integration partners right now? Yeah, so it's still kind of it's it's not that. Uh, so I would say like initially, initial twenty four months, it was were just app stores where the the revenue or the leads were coming from. Uh, currently, what happens is 
that we still operate in, in those ecosystems. We just embedded ourselves much deeper into those ecosystems. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Uh, being an app store is not enough, I mean, to grow your traffic. So, but there are, uh, there are bloggers who write specifically about Shopify, about Magento. There are conferences, uh, there are podcasts, uh, there are communities, uh, there are other uh, third-party integrations who are not competing, who are um, like you know complementary solutions, etc. And uh, you start working with them. There are agencies, freelancers, mm-hmm. who work in those platforms, who facilitate e-commerce, who facilitate specific platforms, Magento's, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, etc. So, uh, so you know, building partnership relationships, building other integrations within ecosystem, uh, attending events. Uh, sponsoring, we are kind of lucky and big enough to be able to sponsor events, attending podcasts, speaking on stage from on conferences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, it's where you embed yourself really deep into the ecosystem. And if someone is running a store on Shopify, on BigCommerce, on WooCommerce, I understand it's one of kind of obvious choices. Uh, yeah, of course we have competitors, but you know, uh, it's they're, pick, they're choosing from one, two, and three solutions. So. Uh, so that's right. kind of that's so. I'm not sure if I have kind of addressed fully a question. So uh, still, vast majority of our business are coming from those ecosystems. It's just not app stores. And if you just launch your app in the app store and you and you expect to grow to like millions of revenues, so it will not work. Right, great. Right. I think uh, what you're saying is that you obviously integrated with those app stores, but then you also talk to the users of those customers. You basically partnered up with influencers in that space, in that ecosystem. And you just basically made sure that you were seen everywhere and that people were there listening to you and using your product. But did you try anything traditional like content marketing or advertising? Yeah, so like uh, content marketing, SEO is is, is big for us. Uh, Again, it's, it's, it's more targeted. That's mm-hmm. that's probably like a difference, and it's it's one of the lessons which I have kind of personally learned that we we called it our strategy targeted brand awareness. Mm-hmm. It's one thing then I just publish content on my blog, and another mm-hmm. thing is once I publish good quality content, which is maybe kind of interesting for a narrow audience, e-commerce in in our case, but it's really good quality, uh, mm-hmm. like. Researches, uh, data-driven, like statistical, uh, like white papers or, or infographics. It worked as for us so, super well. Like you know, we have been quoted by by Forbes, by PayPal. I mean, very like super high authority uh, websites. Which usually to 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 buy the link on search, it's going to cost you thousands and thousands. Mm-hmm. But once you're providing very valuable information for your specific target niche not like going super broad, that's where you start getting value. And again, you can you can uh, write posts and we're doing this on your own blog, but you can find influencers in, in the ecosystem you're creating and you can suggest, okay, um, I, I will really provide good quality content, not, not a shitty piece somehow. So would you publish it? I can even sometimes pay you initially. Mm-hmm. And uh, like for first time you pay, for a second time you see, okay, you're providing really good quality content. So I would publish it for free because I, 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 my readers love it. So, you know, it's, so it's, how do you say, content marketing, uh, does it work for us? Yes, a lot. Uh, is it, uh, 
has my understanding, at least my personal understanding about what content marketing is, has has it changed in the past like four or three years? Yes, it has a lot. That you know, just publishing content on your blog, it's not enough. It's mm-hmm. you know it's about seeding content, about content exchanging, providing really good quality content pieces, etc. Right. Those things are very important. The writers, uh, I, I always ask this question: If you were to start again, uh, would you do anything different? Uh, no. no. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> and if someone if someone's listening to this and they're just starting out like you did many years ago, why advice would you give them? Mm, just do it. But it's, it's a very. I mean, it's a commercial stuff. I mean, it's a slogan of Nike, but at the same time, it's probably the best motivational quote for me. Just do it. I mean, people sometimes are thinking too much instead of just launching, uh, start doing, and then tweaking, then constantly improving, and and you know, just you know, start, start, start your first, make a first step today. Because mm-hmm. there will be no better day than today, uh, and then tweak things, get the feedback from your customers. So easy nowadays to do that, etc. And and yeah, and people sometimes are planning too much and uh, implementing uh, too late. Then they already burned out while planning or while building a perfect solution uh, before it's being launched. Uh, so it's better to launch an MVP, the shitty version of your future good solution. Uh, and then, yeah, start start uh, improving from that. I think that's great. And one great thing you said that it's a, it's a very slow progress. Um, it's a very slow process where it's going to take a while. Where mm-hmm. instead of chasing big money, you focus on the product and making sure that you had product market fit in the first two years. And you make it sound almost very easy. 12, 24 months is a very long stretch, but you really focus on mm-hmm. the product. Only when you realize what the product should be for your market that's when you started mm-hmm. to scale. And you went from there to 13.5 million in revenue. That's huge. But you really and, had to grind in the beginning and eventually yeah. you grew. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's crawl, walk, run. Uh, at least if, you, if you're bootstrapped. If you're funded, so maybe it's a, it's a different playbook. I don't understand this playbook. I have never done like very well funded uh, venture. So, uh, yeah, so it's different. Yeah, you have no time for, for crawling or walking. You have start running immediately. But if you are going in a bootstrap way, um, so yeah, and what is very important, so I completely agree to what you just said. So nailing the product, finding a really nailing product market fit, that is very important. At the same time, what is important not to do that in the laboratory. That means that you have to bring your product into the real life, not mm-hmm. to be nailing it into the artificial environment. Then, you know, let's say we are two co-founders. We just sit by our de- like laptops, desktops, and we are just discussing between each other and building an ideal solution. No, it's not. So what is very important? Bring it to the market as soon as you can. And mm-hmm. then, based on the market feedback, nail it. That's the only way to nail. I mean, you... Doesn't matter how how expert you are in this, any field, uh, you are nowhere as good as a crowd wisdom and the, the needs of, of of your real customers. So that I would say that is very important because too many companies and too many startups trying to nail their product in, as they call it, in a laboratory, not not bringing it to the market. Right. 
Rajesh, thank you very much for being on the show. It was great and uh, good luck for the future and I hope to see you again. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting. Pleasure to talk to you. Bye. And that's it for this episode of Launch Legends. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and share more online marketing launch stories, please search for Launch Legends and your favorite podcast listening app and then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time. 